Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God's, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjectation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here ends the New Testament reading. Heavenly Father, help us now to understand your word and give us wisdom by your spirit to put it into practice. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please do have a seat. And please do turn to Romans chapter 13. And uh, that's on page 948 of the Church Bibles. As we look at what the Bible does say about one of the big issues of today. Terrorism and war. An issue which affects all of us. But an issue which may have affected some of us very personally Indeed, Jesus said that there would sadly be wars and rumours of wars in the last days. In other words, in the days uh, between his first coming and his second coming. And that's what he says in Matthew 24 and verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 4 in the Bible says that wars are caused by mankind's sinful desires. Greed covetousness and selfishness but in heaven there will be perfect peace as we heard from Micah chapter 4 and terrorism existed in Jesus day in Matthew chapter 10 verse 4 Simon the zealot is mentioned as one of Jesus disciples the zealots were a revolutionary group who were committed to violently overthrowing the Roman rule in Palestine. We were on holiday in France very recently when the tragic, evil terrorist attack happened in Nice. 84 people, including children, lay dead, and another 150 were injured as a result of a lorry being driven by a very recently radicalized ISIS supporter at high speed into the crowds celebrating Bastille Day. The images in the press, if you saw them, were of empty pushchairs, speaking powerfully of the numbers of toddlers who were killed in that wicked, indiscriminate atrocity. 
The French authorities responded after shooting the lorry driver dead by tightening security further, continuing airstrikes and declaring three days of national mourning when there would be a minute's silence in every town across France. Then a further evil happened. An 84-year-old Roman Catholic priest was beheaded by two ISIS teenagers near where we'd been staying. Ten days ago, America launched airstrikes against ISIS in Libya, although they admit that the success, in quotes, of airstrikes in reducing the numbers of ISIS fighters to about 15,000 may well be pushing ISIS attacks further into Western Europe. Meanwhile, the war in Syria continues with all its ramifications, especially in Aleppo, the economic capital of Syria. One Syrian man who escaped to the UK two years ago said to me that the reason why the West won't intervene directly in Syria, apart from airstrikes on ISIS, is because there's no oil. That may be slightly cynical, but it may also be, uh, in reality, about the complexity of that situation. And it's difficult to calculate how our involvement might improve the situation. But how should Christians respond to all this? What does the Bible teach? Is there such a thing as a just war? Well, that's my first heading, really, the Christian and war. Now, there's a clear duty to be non-resisting. Jesus said so. Have a look on the screen at Matthew chapter 5 and verses 38 to 39. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. My grandfather, who lived about a mile from here in the 1930s when he was working in Newcastle, believed that verse and was a pacifist in the Second World War. But at the same time, there's a duty laid on the state to be, and this was from Romans 13 and verse 4, as we heard earlier, the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And the early Christians saw the importance of both duties. They believed that as individuals they must never harm or inflict suffering on other people. But at the same time, they believed the state was divinely ordained to repress crime and violence with force, if necessary. However, under Emperor Constantine, who was born in York, not too far away, when the Roman Empire officially became Christian, there was a dilemma. It was the dilemma of reconciling the love of Christ that leads to non-aggression with the need of the state to enforce justice. Suddenly, some Christians found themselves in positions of political authority. They then read Romans 13, that individuals should not 
themselves take revenge, while legitimate rulers who bear the sword should avenge others and enforce God's judgment on evil. And they concluded that when evil was being perpetrated by a neighboring state, bearing the sword meant war. And this was a really terrible dilemma for them. But many Christians entrusted by God with political authority felt that in good conscience they could not opt out of this. And many still believe that today. That they're to exercise power or force in the interests of justice, whether in peacetime, whether sentencing criminals, or in time of war. And the just war theory which some of you may have heard of, was designed in the early church to help with this particular dilemma. It justified war not as self-defense. And it's worth noting that because a lot of people think that that's what it was about. But as a means, rather, of ensuring justice. The personal turning of the other cheek is not denied by the just war theory. It's rather that the political power of those seeking justice needs to be checked. But in such matters, the difficulty is that things aren't always black and white. Calculation is needed. Jesus claimed that calculation is needed many times in life. He says... uh, that cool calculation or a cool counting the cost should lead to a willingness to sacrifice everything for the privilege of being a Christian disciple. But he also says that right calculation is also needed in war. As he says in Luke chapter 14. So you can have a look at that on the screen. For which of you, Jesus says, desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks terms for peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The contrast in the parable shows different sorts of calculation. One is for tower building, the other for using force in war. In tower building, it's easy. There are simple costs to be added up. If the builder can find the precise sum of money, he will be successful. But success in war is so different. There are no simple maths. The king doesn't just sit down and do his sums and count the cost. Rather, Jesus says he has to sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Deciding about war is a matter of judgment and prudence. The facts have to be gathered and assessed. 
and then a decision made. So there'll be far less certainty when going to war than when building a tower. And this relates to today, to the questions of intervention in Syria and against ISIS. When nothing is crystal clear from a Christian perspective, there must be the restraints of the just war theory. So what is the just war theory? Well, put simply, it states that if a war is to be fought, it has to be fought justly. And the theory has five basic principles. Three deal with engaging in war, and two deal with conduct of war. The three that deal with the right engagement in war are, first, the responsibility for waging war is not just anybody's, rather it belongs to the legitimate authority. Secondly, the cause has to be just. And thirdly, there has to be a right motive. But the two that deal with right conduct of war are perhaps most easily forgotten. And these relate to the principles of discrimination and proportion. What does discrimination mean? Well, discrimination means that force must only be applied to combatants, to military combatants, to deprive them of their ability to wage war. There must be no intention to attack non-combatants. An enemy prisoner of war must therefore be treated as a non-combatant. Total or indiscriminate war is therefore totally ruled out. Of course, there must be a distinction drawn between the result of violent action and the intention behind it. If there's an intention to destroy a military command post, but the result is unforeseen civilian casualties, then that's utterly tragic. But it's not wicked in the way aiming a missile indiscriminately at the center of population is. Proportion, what does that mean? Well, it means that no more force or violence that should be used, uh, that uh, is used, should be uh, proportionate, as is necessary, which is a matter for calculation and brings us back to that parable from Jesus of a king about to go to war. It's a reminder that some calculations mean there will be occasions when you can't conduct war, however much you may believe it to be necessary to stop evil. If the calculations show that you can't win, you have to negotiate the best terms of peace possible. But none of the calculating must be cold. To execute someone in war or in peace is both horrific and also defiling. But we mustn't forget the seriousness of the situation today. Listen to the uh, report of an Iraqi Christian woman who defied ISIS terrorists. Weeping as she recounted her ordeal, she said she and her husband awoke to find their town overrun by ISIS fighters. She was told repeatedly by the militants that if she didn't convert to Islam, she'd be decapitated. When she refused, she and 46 women 
who had also rejected such demands, were separated from their families and then whipped and then beaten over a 10-day period to make them abandon their faith. She said, I answered the terrorists, I was born Christian, and if that leads me to death, I prefer to die a Christian. She then quoted Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33. Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. None of the women gave in. We were crying, they said, but refused to convert. On the tenth day, the women were assembled again. And a terrorist put a sword on my neck, she said, in front of everyone and said to me, convert or you'll be killed. She answered, I'm happy to be a martyr. At that point, the terrorists relented, robbed her, including money she'd saved for a kidney operation, and drove her close to the Kurdish territory where she was released along with her husband. Clearly, we're facing great evil. Restraining ISIS is required. But in what way? Well, leading British Muslim scholars and imams recently wrote of ISIS. They are perpetrating the worst crimes against humanity. It's a war against all humanity. ISIS's ideology has nothing to do with the peaceful religion practiced by billions of people across the world and by millions of our fellow citizens who are appalled by their actions. But is ISIS a total perversion and nothing to do with the peaceful religion practiced by millions? Certainly huge percentages of Muslims around the world are very peaceful. So don't mishear me. As a family, we have very good friends who are Muslim. But has ISIS nothing to do with Islam? In a House of Lords debate, Lord Sheikh said, it's written in the Quran, whoever kills a human being, it's as though he's killed all mankind. And whoever saves a human life, it's as though he has saved all mankind. That's why I have consistently spoken about Islam as a religion of peace and continue to do so, said Lord Sheikh. Pope Francis said something very similar just the other week. Lord Sheikh was quoting from Surah chapter 5, verse 32 of the Quran. But he omitted to explain what follows in Surah 5.33. And that says, The penalty for those who wage war against Allah and his messenger and strive upon earth to cause corruption is none but that they be killed or crucified or that their hands and feet be cut off from opposite sides or that they be exiled from the land. In contrast, the Bible teaches that while there must be justice, there is opportunity for those who oppose Jesus, as with the Apostle Paul, who killed Christians, oversaw their, their murder, 
before he became a Christian. To repent and trust in Christ. For ultimately the sword of justice fell on Jesus Christ on the cross. So that we could be forgiven. Whatever our sin and know the one true God personally as our heavenly father. And Simon the Zealot was called to repent by Jesus of his terrorist activity and be one of the twelve disciples. It seems clear that action against ISIS is right. But any response to ISIS must also be on an ideological and religious basis that sets out a more compelling vision a greater challenge and a more remarkable hope than offered by ISIS. You see, we must face the fact that for some young Muslims today, the attractions of jihadism outweigh the pull of Western materialism. So if we struggle against a call to the twisted and perverted values of ISIS, without a better story, we'll fail in the long term. And it's the role of the church. It's the role of us, the role of you and me, to point to the message of Jesus Christ and the justice, the healing, and the redemption that he offers. While the evil and violence of this jihadism has rightly to be resisted and stopped, the reason for the evil and violence also has to be dealt with. And one reason is a disenchantment with Western materialism and sexual immorality, which Christians, of course, are to take issue with too. You see, as we face radical Islam, we actually face two extremisms. One is Islamic extremism, but the other is an insidious and intolerant Western extremism. That seems more tame on the surface, yet it's destroying human life through abortion on demand and destroying family life through the promotion of sexual immorality. There's a good fight, a peaceful fight in other words, to be fought on these things too here in the UK. But what do Islamic radicalizers really believe apart from that Western materialism is wrong. Well, we can know what one radical Muslim, Saeed Qutb, believed from his revolutionary book called Milestones. He's been described as the godfather of radical Islam. Qutb urged Muslims to go back to the Quran, to avoid the decadent values of the West, and to a total commitment to Islam in every aspect of life and he said that those who reject this should be opposed even if they're Muslims he also taught that all human forms of control including the secular state must be opposed how? well the method of opposition is to be preaching and persuading individuals but also physical power and jihad to abolish authorities which force Muslims to obey what is wrong 
and make them serve human lords. And what in practice seems to happen when persuasion doesn't work is that individuals become enemies and physical force is then applied, leading to the evil killings of Christians and many others. Now you might be thinking, well, how does all this apply to me? Well, that's my last and final point. What does all this mean for us? What's the way forward? As Christians, we are to hate evil and cling to what is good, Romans chapter 12. But we must also love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. And evangelize. Take the good news of Jesus Christ to others all over the world. That's Matthew chapter 28. Motivated not by revenge or hatred of these people, but by the love of Christ, says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Muslims, whether peaceful or extremist, need to hear the truth as it is in Jesus Christ and turn to him. Forgiveness of sins and new birth through the Holy Spirit are the only ultimate solutions. Some Muslims have been put off Islam by ISIS and their radical ways. And it's been reported that some are turning to Christianity instead. So in the light of all that and the present danger, the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy are still so relevant today. Look at the words on the screen from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So let's be praying in an informed way, by reading, watching, or listening to the news and sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us as we show hospitality and care for our neighbours who are in real need of true hope, whether Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, Jew, or of no faith. In spite of our own sinful rebellion and man's terrorism and war, the God of the Bible is in control. And wants his lost children found, wherever they're from, and whatever they've done. Why? And why should we be interested? Because God loves them. And gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to rescue them, as well as us. And wants them to trust Christ, the only saviour, 
and so to know him personally.